Since the early 1980s, hard-hitting bands such as Petra, Striper, White Cross, and Bloodgood would forever change the boundaries of Christian music. The Rock That Makes Me Roll podcast brings commentary, analysis, and guest speakers from today's and yesterday's top artists and bands. Now, Podbean.com brings you The Rock That Makes Me Roll podcast with your host, Sean Fagan. He's the rock
everybody. It's Sean Fagan with The Rock That Makes Me Roll podcast. Brought to you by Podbeam.com. I'm also on iTunes. You can find me there. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter. I also have an Instagram account set up now, so we'll be sending you pictures and, and other information that way. I just want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, it's such an honor and a joy to be able to bring this to you. I hope you are having a blessed day. Wanted to start by just telling you guys how appreciative I am that everyone is listening to the podcast. The Rex Carroll interview was an absolute success. Within the first 24 hours, we had 150 views uh, or listens. And uh, I just want to tell you how honored I am to have that many people listening to this. It's a new podcast, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, And I just want to say thanks again for allowing me the privilege to be able to uh, maybe a couple times a month be able to get you uh, some information about these Christian bands and artists and uh, I, I hope that you're able to get a glimpse of their lives and what they have going on and also some of their music and their talents. Uh, that's what I'm here for. That's what it's all about for me. I did hear in the news here this week that Striper will be releasing a new album uh, called Fallen. It's a follow-up to their No More Hell to Pay album. Uh, I'm not going to go in too much detail about that right now because my plan is to do a podcast uh, with Striper within the next week or two. I'm um, not going to actually, uh, unless they agree to come on and, and actually interview with me, uh, it'll be more of a monologue with uh, quite a bit of information about the band and and uh, maybe some excerpts from other interviews that they've done with people. Uh, but it's to get us ready for the new Fallen album that'll be coming out October the 16th. And uh, looking really forward to hearing some more of that album. You can hear uh, their Yahweh song and also their Fallen songs are, are streaming on YouTube right now. You can pre-order their album. Uh, with that, you'll be able to get the downloads of those two songs. So get a chance to check that out. And again, be looking forward to the uh, Striper podcast that I'm going to have coming out uh, with quite a bit of information about them and the new album. Also, in the news, I saw that Viridia is going to be releasing a new album after the first of the year called Pretty Lies. You can follow them on Facebook and get more information about that album. There's not a release date set for that one yet, so uh, we'll be watching out for that, and we'll give you more information as that comes about. Those are the two things that I saw that caught my attention this week. Right now, I'm excited to be able to talk to you about my interview with Michael Bloodgood of the band Bloodgood. As many of you know, Michael is the founder and bass player for the band. The band has an extensive catalog of studio albums, live albums, and compilations of their many different songs. Most recently, 2013, the band released Dangerously Close. It is their first album since 1991 that was recorded in the studio. Uh, it was produced by Paul Jackson, and uh, it is just a thrill to be able to have them back with new music and uh it was great being able to talk to michael about this new album michael is also a pastor of calvary chapel church in redmond washington you're going to hear michael talk about blood good and how 
They disbanded in 1994 and then reunited in 2002 and then again uh, in 2006. The current lineup that they have for the band is Michael Bloodgood, Les Carlson, Paul Jackson, Kevin Whistler, and then Oz Fox from the band Striper. You'll hear Michael talk about Oz and how Oz got involved in the band. And uh, it's pretty exciting to be able to see Oz outside of Striper doing stuff, so uh, I'm really excited about that. The band began work on the new material on the Dangerously Close album in 2007. The problem was they had issues with their management company that they had hired, uh, which created several setbacks. Um, It eventually led to them starting a Kickstarter campaign, uh, where many of you that are probably listening to this uh, actually... Uh, gave to help get this album going. The end result was the release of the 2013 Dangerously Close album. The first music video that they had off the album, which is the first music video they've had since 1987, was Lamb of God. You can check that out on YouTube. Uh, It's a really cool video that is uh, set in a black and white tone and a very awesome video. You're also going to hear Michael talk about his serious illness in 2005 that potentially could have ended his life and how that affected his thought process of putting the band back together. During that time, Michael was unable to use his vocals, so Michael ended up getting some friends together from the church and put together an album called Michael and Friends. It's a sharp curve from what he had done with Bloodgood, but it is a very interesting album and uh, is definitely something that you should check out if you haven't done so yet. Also during this interview, you're going to hear him talk about the new documentary that the band has coming out. It's called In the Trenches of Rock and Roll, and it's about the history of the band and what it took to keep that band together for the 30 years that they've been together. The documentary will be released in 2016. The exact release date is unknown at this time, so I'll keep you informed as I find out more about that throughout some of the other podcasts that we have. Just want to say that Michael is is a wonderful person to talk to. Got a great heart. The man is full tilt into serving the Lord in whatever he uh, calls him to do, and um, highly respect Michael. And I just want to shout out and say thanks again, Michael, for the chat. And look forward to being able to talk to you again soon. So we'll be back in a few minutes with Michael Bloodgood. The Rock That Makes Me Roll podcast. From the creators of Courageous. I want to be a good enough Fireproof. Let's go, let's go. And facing the Giants. Don't quit! Hey, you know what? I thought your jump rope routine was really good. I just got a notification that you moved money from our savings and ticket checking account. Can we talk about this later? You must be the real estate agent. Well, it's so good to meet you. Let me show you the house. This is my favorite place in this house. I call it my war room. You wrote prayers for each area of your life. Prayer strategy. I sure could use some of that. From the Kendrick Brothers. Tony, you should go see your practice tomorrow. I'm out of town this week. When were you going to tell me? I just did. Tony! That was my favorite rep. I'm real good. I do it. I wish I lived at your house. Whenever my parents are together, they just fight. 
I can't get a pass from you. It'd be easier to baptize a cat. I just need you to blow off a little steam, okay? There's one thing we do well. It's fight. You do not want World War III to break out in your home. No. No, I don't. Just because you argue a lot doesn't mean that you fight well. You got to plead with God so that he can do what only he can do. Then you got to get out of the way and let him do it. You need to do your fighting in prayer. This August. Prayer is a powerful weapon. I've never seen anybody do what you did. It's time for you to take off the gloves and fight for your marriage. Lord, we need an army of believers. Lord, call us to battle. Raise them up, Lord. Raise them up. War Room. In theaters now. Go to warroomthemovie.com for more information. The Rock That Makes Me Roll Podcast.
I am very honored to be able to speak with one of my heroes and one of the founders of the Christian heavy metal movement, founder, bass guitar player, and a Christian Music Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Bloodgood. Hey brother, how are you? I am doing great. It is, it is really good to be able to talk to you tonight. I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. Glad to do it. All right, man. Before we get started, I want to ask you about the fires up there in your area. Uh, are any of those affecting you? I mean, are you guys okay and safe? Well, um, you know, most of them in our state are confined to eastern Washington. The Cascade Mountains that kind of separate east from west, and you know, over there, it's just it's way hotter. And and, and we had them over here, of course. Yeah, but it's been a lot more serious over there in Idaho and. I guess Montana and Northern California. So, like right where I am, we've been pretty cool, oh, uh, in a in a warm sort of way. We're just summer <laughs> in Seattle history, right? So it's been quite an alternative thing for us. Well, good, good. I wondered how that was affecting you when I saw all that going on. So it's good to know you're doing good with that. Um, be praying. Yeah, for we it. are. I got a little smoky over here, but that was about it. Good. Well, we'll be praying for everybody around you there too. So. Oh yeah. Can you give me a little bit of history on? Yourself and the creation of Blood Good, how that came about? Well, let me see. Um, I'll try and do the Reader's Digest version here. I got saved when I was a senior in high school, and there really wasn't anything like Christian rock happening that I was aware of. So uh, when I went into college, I had a couple of buddies that I went to school with, and we decided to start a Christian rock band, which was kind of an oxymoron to a lot of people in that time, even called Crossroads, not a real original name. But, you know, it was, I think it was original back then. <laughs> it isn't now. Right. And so we just started playing Christian coffee houses and uh, some churches, you know, although we played a Baptist church in Pasadena, and when they saw my electric guitar stand uh, sitting at the stage, some of the people got up and left, because as you and I know, the electric guitar is a tool of the devil. Right, right. So it's been, <laughs> it's a controversy has followed me wherever I've gone for some strange reason. So anyway, flash forward, I you know I came up to Seattle and I was studying uh, Bible literature at Northwest University. Had another band that was going for quite a few years, and then uh, during that time, uh, after I graduated from college, I was working at a really great guitar store in Bellevue, Washington, up here. And all my all my customers, for the most part, were all into heavy metal, and there was no such thing as Christian metal. So. A friend of mine who was from a great band up here called Service Man, we just started praying that God would raise up a band to to reach out to these kids. Because metal kids, they, they were not into anything except metal. You know, there was nothing to cross over. And uh, and as I just prayed over the time, you know, a pretty big period of time, I really felt that God was telling me that he wanted me to start that, which, it's you know, it's one of those uh, Robert De Niro moments. I'm going, are you talking to me? You know, <laughs> right. I really couldn't believe it. And so as I just committed it to prayer, uh, I really felt that that's exactly what he wanted me to do. So I kind of, uh, you know, I, I had a friend that ran a music shop up here, and I said, hey, uh, you know, record store says, give me the what you think the 10 best metal albums are. And I just really kind of got into it, you know, Dio and Priest and just all the guys that were happening. And I just thought, man, this this would be awesome music with gospel lyrics, because it's so powerful. And so I just started praying, and... and uh, JT, our original drummer, had just come off the road with a, a band uh, out of the Florida area, I think it was, and, and I kind of shared my vision with him, and he was excited about it. He didn't even say he was going to be in the band, but he started coming over to my house on Thursday nights, and we just began praying, and we didn't know, again, there was nothing to draw, no well, so to speak. So we just started praying about a, a guitar player. Well, 
uh, JT had been in a band with David Zafiro, and I knew Zafiro actually from the guitar store as well. I knew he was just a shredding guitar player, but he was at that time playing in kind of a pop new wave band. And so same thing, he got off the road with that band, and I kind of, you know, we got together with him, and he got really excited about it, and the three of us started praying, and we actually started rehearsing just cover tunes, because we didn't really know what we were going to play. We hadn't written anything. We didn't know what we were supposed to do. And, of course, kind of coming up with a Christian heavy metal singer, again, was just like, yeah, right. You know, they don't exist. I could have started a sitcom show on the people. I finally took out an ad in a local music magazine up here called The Rocket, and some of the guys that came in answering that ad, I mean, really, it was kind of hysterical. So they come in, you know, some of them like in a cardigan sweater. Yeah, I think I could sing like that. Or I would put on, you know, a deal, like Let's Rock or something like that. Can you sing like this guy? Uh, no. It's, just, oh, it's not going to work, man. And, and, of course, in that final day, Les Carlson came in. And I was managing another music store a little bit further south. And I kind of shared my vision with him. And he was pumped about it. And Les was a fairly young Christian at that time, but really wanted to take his vocal talents and use it for the Lord. And he kind of blew it off initially because... Because, you know, I don't know if he looked the part, and he wanted to kind of start his own thing, but as, I don't know, two or three months or whatever it was went by, he just really felt the Lord kept saying my name, blood good, blood good. So he finally calls me one day, he goes, what's the deal? I said, because you're supposed to be in the band, Les. I knew it the day I met you, and I hadn't heard him sing. So we literally, uh, we met at this uh, diving restaurant down in Seattle called the, the Doghouse Cafe, the four of us. And we just shared our testimonies and what we felt God wanted to do. We really shook hands, prayed about it, and started a band. And we hadn't even played together. That's crazy. That's just how, yeah, that's how much we, you know, just really knew God was bringing us together. So we just started rehearsing. We decided that we weren't going to do cover tunes. We were going to start writing our own material, which we started to do. We had early songs like Anguish and Pain and Holy Fire and Awake and that sort of thing, Battle of the Flesh. And, uh, and then at the same time, you know, I was, my wife calls me down and just goes, you've got to see this band, this band, I can't believe it. It was on TBN, this band called Striper. And so I'm watching these guys, you know, you know what to do. And I'm just going, oh my gosh. And I knew right then, God's doing a movement. I mean, this is, I mean, we don't know each other. We're all, and I, I just, and I realized this is like, almost like a Jesus movement. It was just happening sporadically all over the country. And so I was just really fired up about, well, Striper's yellow and black attack was taking off and, they wanted to play Seattle, and of course they had a kind of an unwritten rule that they didn't really like Christian bands working with them. But we had the major promoter up here said, "I'm not going to, you know, put my ministry and my job on the line for some club act, you know, that's going to start dropping the f bomb or something. I want to find you guys a Christian act." And he heard about us, came to a rehearsal, and about three songs in, he says, "You guys are on the bill. You're playing for Striper," and that's basically kind of how it. <laughs> kind of how it came together. We, we did a couple wow. of shows with Striper, went up in Billingham, and then, of course, Seattle at the Paramount Theater. And, you know, we started a relationship with those guys. And then we went into the studio that same year, recorded our Metal Missionaries demo, and our next gig was opening up the Daryl Mansfield Band in Tacoma. And I'd known Daryl for a lot of years. It opened up him before with my college band. And Daryl was just pumped, you know, about the band and how we sounded. It took our de demo tape. Uh, down to California, and we were signed with Frontline about six weeks later. That's amazing. That is, that so is that's just a, that's amazing. That's as better edited version as I could oh. give you. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So I read somewhere that uh, your, or I heard somewhere, I can't remember which it was here a while back, that your first band, actually, you guys got together with some friends, you got together with some friends and uh, cut out cardboard guitars and did Beatles shows. 
Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know. we're talking elementary school now. Yeah, <laughs> that's like we, we would walk around for you know weekends, convincing all the girls we could that we were actually from England because we'd put on our best British accents, which I'm sure were pretty awful. <laughs> and we did. We literally got pieces of cardboard and some molding from a house that was our necks. And I made a big country gentleman because I love George, and the other three of us did their stuff, and we would go and mine Beatle music at school talent shows and, and parents' backyards for barbecues and stuff. And that was the start of my musical career. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny because when, when I was in elementary school, I did the cutout versions of Michael Sweet and Ozfox's guitars when, you know, the, the cardboard cutouts and went ran around and, and pantomimed to that music too. So <laughs> it's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> you never know what's going to grab you into music, and that was it for me. That's That's cool. So, when did you decide that you were going to become a Christian, and, I mean, what made you decide to become a Christian and start down the Christian path versus continuing to play secular music and, you know, in a band? I know you kind of touched on it, but can you go in a little deeper into that as to what made you decide that? Well, you know, I started dating my wife when I was in, uh, I was just the tail end of my junior year in high school, and we shared a geometry class. And uh, I pretty much fell hell. I'm still, you know, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary in, in October. So I fell madly in love with her this summer. <laughs> and she was a very young Christian. And she, you know, she had, hadn't really been discipled. And you know, she wasn't evangelical dating. She just really didn't know any better. So as our relationship grew, she was growing in the Lord as well. And finally, that summer, she said, you know, I've got this part of me that is, you know, will never share because, you know, I, I gave my life to Christ and my, that's where my heart and my mind is. And, you know, and I, I don't know how much longer, you know, how much deeper this relationship can go because this isn't going to work. So I said, well, you know, I'll go to, I'll, go, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll go to church. I didn't care. So she started bringing me to church and I was, you know, on the prayer list for some of her Bible studies. And, and one night, um, you know, it was a little bit later, it was February the next year. Uh, I had gone to see this uh, evangelist at a Baptist church, a guy named Kenny Poor, and that's really when the Lord really spoke to my heart, and he started talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and cleansing the temple, and I just thought, man, that's rock, and it really hit my, my heart. So I, I pocketed one of those four spiritual law books, you know, put it in my pocket because I was too cool to, you know, make any kind of a you know, public demonstration at that point. Right. And that night, it was literally 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up. I can't tell you what I was dreaming, but I knew it was religious, and I knew how to do with the Lord. And I just, I knew that I grabbed that four-search law book, which I hadn't even cracked the cover. I read through it, uh, and I, I, and the Lord just used that. And I that night, I signed my name and asked Jesus into my heart, February 3rd. And I woke up the next day, and I knew that God had done something. Now, of course, I couldn't verbalize it, because I, I didn't know anything. I even knew that night that God had called me into ministry. I couldn't even tell what that, I didn't know what that meant. But I just knew it. He put it on my heart right on that very first day. And again, I couldn't even tell you what that meant, but I, that was so impressed on me. Sure. And so I gave my life to the Lord at that point, and, and uh, you know, I had a, a, a great guy that was discipling me, or, you know, of course, along with my, my girlfriend, who became my wife later. And I just grew in the Lord and started sharing my testimony, and, and that's when I started my college band, because the next year, uh, at Glendale College down in L.A., and and I've basically been doing Christian music ever since because that's what God's called me to do. Very cool, man. Very cool. So you kind of touched on this subject too, and um, I've heard you kind of briefly talk about it other places. But um, when you started out into the heavy metal scene, 
what kind of resistance did you get from like the church christian you know christian organizations church organizations what 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 kind of stuff did you run into and how did you handle it well um it's funny, and you probably know there's a documentary coming out on the band called Trenches of Rock. It's just, it just got submitted to Sundance yesterday, uh, and it talks about that very subject. Because when we started, when I started putting this idea out, uh, most of the people I knew, Christian people, really thought it was a bad idea. They, they just could not wrap their head around, how could you be do Christian heavy metal? They're so opposite. Metal is so dark, and it's satanic, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, it's just a tool, though. They're eventually like to say that, you know. A scalpel in the hands of a surgeon is the best thing in the world. In the hands of a serial killer, it's the worst thing. But the scalpel is neutral. And so that was always my belief. And I, I had been reading uh, uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret that his kids had written about him. And, you know, when he first, and this all ties in, trust me, you know, he went to, to China and he just, he failed. And then when he came back to England, when he went again, the Lord really spoke to his heart about just assimilating himself into the Chinese culture. And that's what he did. He started dressing like a Chinaman. He started eating like a Chinaman. And his ministry it became, you know, it's world famous. And that and that was really kind of the really the underlying premise for me with Hudson Taylor's ministry. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. So I shared it with my pastor at that time. He thought it was a great idea. And and so uh, I just committed it, and I we went for it. So when we actually started on our first tour, the detonation tour in 87, we'd done some flyout dates, but this is our first bona fide tour. You know, the infamous story of Jimmy Swagger holding our album up and saying we were four homosexuals without a prayer life. Nice. And so <laughs> for the next two two years or so, and of course we weren't the only ones, everybody pretty I mean, and he was he was bad rapping Amy Grant and Glenn Kaiser and just all these people that I knew. And I just said, Man, what is wrong with this guy? So for the next couple of years, pretty much everywhere we went, we had picketers at our shows. Uh guys, you know, professing Christians, I'll call them that. You know, you know, again, big posters that we were homosexuals, that we were doing the devil's work and all that kind of stuff. And so it was, it gave us a lot of publicity, but it was very sad testimony to the world, you know. Because the world, interestingly enough, we got so much publicity because the guys in the world couldn't understand why the Christians were opposed to us. Because they go, well, you guys are bringing this really great message and you're trying to get kids off the streets to go, yeah. He goes, well, why would people protest that? I go, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Really? You know, ultimately it worked to our advantage, but you know, it was, it, it is a bummer to see people out there again. I, I call them professing Christians. Whether they were or not, I don't know because a real, uh, you know, born again spiritual Christian should not be swept along because some televangelist told them something. But there they were. You know, we tried many times to pray with them or talk with them. It just wasn't going to happen. None of them, of course, knew us. They didn't know our lyrics. They'd never seen the fruits of our ministry, what kind of men we were. And it was just, it was just a sad tale. But again, we got some great PR out of the deal. Sure. That PR sometimes, you know, it it goes both ways. You know, a lot of the PR that I remember when I was younger listening to your music and the, uh, you know, we were in in church services with, with, you know, Christian people telling us not to listen to Ozzy Osbourne, not to listen to, you know, Black Sabbath, whatever, and they're playing that music. And be quite honest with you, that's where I got addicted to heavy metal music because they're preaching so much about it, you know, and then also talking bad about what what you and Striper and other bands were trying to do, you know, it was, you couldn't help but, uh, you know, especially in that age, you know, it was good music. All of it was good music, you know. It, well, it, it's so 
funny because they'd always, it had always backlashes. It's like telling your kid, you're not going to collect baseball cards. Well, what's the first thing he's going to do? Exactly. You know, exactly. when I was at Northwest University, you know, uh, a lot of people from that particular uh, denomination were brought up that music is evil, rock and roll music is evil, dancing is evil, and, and, and you name it. And some of those, my uh, peers, had the best record collection I had ever seen. And they had cut out, literally, some of them had cut out... Uh, something underneath their bed or they had false closets, you know, doors and stuff. And it had this amazing collection because their parents would tell them how bad it was. So it had a complete reverse, just like it did on you. All of a sudden say, well, what is it that's so, you know, and it just, it just doesn't work. You know, right. you have to reason with people. And right. I mean, I understand what people would be opposed. I mean, there is some bad heavy metal out there. There's a lot of things that you understand why people would feel that way, but then they turn it into legalism and there's no spirit behind it, and people don't have that conviction, and you end up doing the exact opposite of what you wanted to do, and that's to keep people away from whatever it is you think is wrong, instead of just reasoning with them and saying, well, here's what it is, or even looking at it yourself. But people would just would just dismiss us out of hand because we played metal, or, you know, we had, you know, we had big hair, or, you know, whatever it was. And, and you know, again, people try to often still do try to spiritualize their own prejudices and try, you know, try and make it, you know, oh, it's okay. You know, God's on my side. Type of deal. We're not not really studying the word or even understanding God's spirit. I I know you guys disbanded. You know, a while back. What made you decide to disband? I mean, what was there a reason, or you just had enough of it, or just felt like you couldn't do any more with it, or what? What was the reason for that? Well, uh, really, I'm the blame for that because I was I was preaching over uh, my first time ever actually uh, preaching at uh, a seminar in Wales. And when I was in the middle of doing one of my presentations, I really felt the Lord saying, this is where I'm taking you. I want you to be a pastor. And again, it was a Robert De Niro thing. I go, me? you got to be kidding me. I never aspire. I don't want to be a pastor. Never thought never entered my mind. Right. And so when I got back from that, I just really started contemplating, you know, again, just waiting. And Lord, was that you? And just looking for confirmation. Well, my pastor said, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think God loves these calling. I, I just, I go, I can't see it, man. I can't see it. You know, I go, well, sometimes you can't see the most obvious, especially when it's you. So I just committed to prayer, and um, uh, we had, uh, one of our latter shows, we ended up in Russia. And again, it was one of those things, when I first started the band, the Lord told me we were going to Russia. Of course, you know, in those days, Russia was still the Soviet Union. And so I thought, and, and I flash forward all these years later, uh, here we are in Russia, and that, to me, was like the Lord says, you crossed the finish line, you know, good job, faithful servant, you know, into your father's rest. Sadly, you know, I didn't quite grasp that, so we kind of kept going. If you just, you know, you can get into the routine of ministry or being a musician, where you got to do an album every year, you tour to support it, and we were just kind of getting on that treadmill. So I just said, hey, you guys, we got to really stop and rethink what's going on here. And so if I got, again, I'm trying to get as edited as I can, sure. got to a point where I really think God is telling us, it's cool, we're done. You know, he's done a great job, and God has used us, but if we keep going, we're going to be out of his will. And, you know, and, and, and so I basically, you know, we didn't, nobody, I'm still best friends. Obviously, the band's back together with the original lineup. We've all remained best friends to this day and always will be. But I just knew it was time to stop. And that was like in 1993 after our last, our last, European tour, and which was really hard because our last uh, tour in Germany, we sold out every show. So wow. I was thinking, are you sure that everybody in the band right. are you sure? <laughs> no, I, you know, it's like no. I go, and not that it's a test, but no, I, I, I know God wants me to do that. And so, and, and to this day, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, a pastor up here in Seattle, 
and that's that's my main, you know, that's what God's called me to do. That's my main occupation, along with doing blood gear. But blood gear, you know, is not full-time with the world. Right, right. So you guys got back together, uh, what was it, 2007 you got back together? Yes, right. Right, and you guys uh, uh, released um, the album uh, Dangerously Close? Yeah, that just happened a couple of years ago, yeah. So there's been a lot of interim between putting the band back together and we finally got around to getting a CD out, a new album. Sure. Now... With the new album, which I really like, by the way, um, bought Thank it myself you. and really love it. Um, how did you get Oz Fox involved in that? Well, it's interesting. Remember, I, I was telling you I, when I was uh, preaching at the Meltdown Festival in Wales, it happened later in 2000, I believe it was. Uh, Oz was over there doing the guitar clinics, and I was over there uh, as the teacher. And, of course, I'd known Oz from Striper, and we'd done a little, you know, hanging out backstage, but we weren't like close buddies or anything like that, you know, we, we knew each other, and um, so we got the, uh, a chance, my wife was with us, and so we really got a chance to hang out with Oz, and I just saw what a great heart he has, a real servant, great sense of humor, which he would fit right in with us, and so I thought in the back of my mind, man, if I ever put Blood Get Back Together, I would love to have Oz in the band with Paul, because I just think it would be great, so that was it, and of course, Striker wasn't active at that time, and and flash forward to 2006, actually, uh, and, you know, there's reasons I didn't put the band back together. I'd been in the hospital and almost thought I wasn't going to get out of there alive, and which was kind of a real catalyst for putting the band back together. But uh, when I talked to the guys in, in 2007 about, what do you think about putting Blood Good back together? There's kind of a resurgence. I really feel like God isn't done with this. and We have this following building on the Internet, and we're not even playing, and, you know, or, and we just said, every said, yeah, let's do it. And I, you know, of course, I said, what about bringing Oz into the fold? And Paul and Les go, oh, yeah, man, that would be killer. So I just called Oz up out of the blue. and says, Oz, I'm thinking we're putting the band back together. We'd love to have you a part of the band. Not a, a guitar player, singing, songwriting, you know, the whole shebang. I said, but, you know, I want you to pass it by Michael and sweet, you know, make sure it's cool. And Michael gave us the blessing, so to speak. And so Oz came on board, you know, as our second guitar player. And so, uh, flash forward all the way to 2013, we're getting ready to track our new record. You know, I really wanted to give Oz the opportunity as a writer because he doesn't really get, uh, I think he's really, literally only co-written one song for Striper. Right. And so, you know, Mark, Mike, Mike's the main guy there as a songwriter. So Oz came in and, and started co-writing some songs primarily with Les because they live closer to each other. And so we have three of the song, uh, songs in a new album that Oz co-wrote. Which is great, and it gave the band a different feel. And of course, you know, Oz is such a different guitar player from Paul. They're so they approach their guitar instruments so differently that they just are together. They're just amazing. That's so awesome. yeah, I'm a blessed guy to have those guys in the band. Well, yeah. all of my guys in the band are great. Heck yeah, <laughs> yeah. So what's Les doing these days? Is he? I mean, is he still? Is he with any other bands, or is he just with you? Or well, he just uh, he just released an album uh, with a good friend of his, Don Cromwell. He's been buddy with uh, Don and he, I believe, that were in bands in Seattle uh, way back in the day. And Don is a real accomplished uh, producer and songwriter. Bass. He played bass for Eddie Money, and and you know he's he's got some serious chops. And so he and Les have been really great friends. So the two of them co-wrote an album together, uh, which just got released this year. So Oz or uh, Les stays real busy musically as well, and he's down in Southern California. You know, he's a grandpa, so he loves doing that. And uh, so he's he's a busy guy. 
Well, that's <laughs> neat. That's good. So, um, with Bloodgood, are who initially was the primary? It sounds like Les does a lot of the 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 music writing now. Um, did you do it before, or has Les always been part of it? Or how how did how did that how does that work? Well, pretty, pretty much, if you break down every Bloodgood record, they're pretty much evenly distributed between three writers. Oh wow! Uh, it, it was Les and David and I, and then Paul came in after uh, for All Stand Together again, and same thing with this album. Uh, you know, we kind of, it's, you know, I did, you know, I, some of my songs are like in the trenches and I can hold on and, you know, so we all are contributing. We had some outside writers this time. Uh, Chris Eddy came in and helped me co-write. I can hold on. Uh, you know, Days of Fear when I co-wrote a song. We hadn't done that in many years. Uh, Runaway. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much evenly distributed uh, amongst the guys. Uh, it, it generally, you know, it's not intentionally necessarily, but usually when it's all said and done, you know, I think Les on this album probably had a much more lyrical uh, uh, input than perhaps uh, look at other records. But you know, it's been 22 years, man, since we've done a record, so anything was anything and everything was possible. Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys do a great job. I'll tell you that. Well, Pro- you. probably the the first song I ever heard, my friend, best friend in the whole world, still friends to this day, and from elementary school. His name's Bill. He introduced me to you guys with the song Crucify, and I was hooked. Right. I mean, that's one of those songs that you can play for people, and they're like, who is that and what is that? And you get the opportunity to actually tell them what the lyrics are about and who you guys are, and it's just uh, that, that, that kind of music, man. <laughs> people, people just don't hear that you know, in the Christian world. They're like, that's a Christian band? You know, it's, it's really cool to, right, right. you know? It's it's neat. Well, uh, tell Bill thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll tell him that. Uh, let's see here. I was going to ask you about your uh, Michael Bloodgood and Friends, Friends album. Um, right. What was that all about, and how did that come about? Well, it started out literally as a work project. Um, you know, I pastor a church, and I have a habit, good or bad, of kind of taking uh, worship music and kind of rearranging it giving you a different feel, and so I, I do that with a lot of them, and so my other guitar player says, dude, you know, you give, you tell me we're going to do such and such a song, and then listen to it, and then you show me what you're doing, I'm going, it's not, you know, it's like light years away, why don't we start, because he had a studio, so why, you know, create church, why don't we start just tracking the stuff as a work page, so when people come into the worship band, you can just give them, here's how we do this song, and here's how we do that song, and that's literally how it started out, but as we began tracking it, uh, it just got a little bit more and more serious and kind of started taking on a life of its own. And so as we started, well, why don't we do this? And why don't we do strings here? And all of a sudden it started kind of turning into a project. And then, you know, again, we're a little bit where I'm starting the band, uh, putting Bloodgood back together. And our cur- our management at that time says, let's let's release this, this CD. Because you guys don't have anything new coming out right now. But, you know, this would, you know, we'll keep your name out there. I said, well, okay, you know, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, like gung-ho. I, I wasn't like, oh, I can't wait to do a solo album. And in the middle of this project is when I got really sick, and I, you know, again, Reader's Digest, I had an artery dissect, and so I literally lost my voice for almost a year. Oh, so wow. that's when I began Michael Bloodgood and Friends, because I couldn't talk above a whisper for almost 12 months. Oh, wow, and so that's I started amazing. Bringing in, yeah, my son came in and sang some music. Uh, Jeff McCormick, a great drummer that lives up here, he used to be in Allison Chains. And of course, I had a, a two of the songs. It was basically a Bloodgood reunion. Mark Wellington on drums, Oz and Paul on guitars, Les singing. So it just kind of became this community 
project. You know, there's three original tunes on there that I wrote. And, and, you know, and my wife came in and did percussion and background vocals. So it just became fun. Don Garber, great uh, piano player came in. And, and, and so it just, just kind of morphed into this project, which is now, of course, Michael Bloodgood and friends. So there you go. <laughs> Man, that was a cool album too. It was really neat to have all the different, you know, vocal sounds and stuff. That was, that was really neat yeah, too. Well, you know, I'm, you're always nervous to do an album like that because it's not Bloodgood, you know. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't sing like Les. That's why Les isn't singing lead and I'm not. Right. You know, but you know, it's, it was just a blast for me to kind of, you kind of get, it's a kind of a typical solo album is I'm kind of covering a lot of ground because, you know, doing Bloodgood, you're pretty much in this area musically. Or, you know, I like to, I wanted to bring in kind of a beatle thing with the 12-string Rickenbackers and strings and, and just stuff that was a little bit different. Hammond B3 doing some, you know, some, uh, you know, boogie-woogie type of piano stuff coming in. And it was just really, really fun to do it. And I'm really glad I did the project. And I probably will never do one again. <laughs> 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 it took literally years, especially when I got sick. I put a big pause button on there for a long time. Right, I bet. Are you guys going to be doing any more touring with Bloodgood or by yourself? Well, we're um, we're close to signing a, a, a management deal with a company over in Germany because our biggest stronghold has always been Scandinavia and Germany, and now Brazil's kind of coming up there as well. So we're kind of always focused over there, and you know when we put the band back together, we kind of did the you know the cornerstone, you know the festival circuit, just kind of let people were, were, know we were back. And, and we just kind of open to what God wants us to do. Uh, you know, it's really difficult to cook tour in the States. It's, it's enormous. There really isn't any kind of a circuit. As you know, most of the gigs going on now are festival dates, you know, creation fest and this and that. And, you know, it's a lot of work for a 45 minute set. And it's just not something that just is really all that feasible. Cause again, cause we're spread out over three states. Right. And so for us just to get ready for a show is very expensive. Cause we're having to fly people up and rent rooms and, you know, the whole, shooting match uh and so we're kind of putting you know we have a lot of focus on our european fans again we've just done so much uh better overseas so uh we've got a tour we're, put, we're piecing together a tour for september of next year uh based around a festival uh in uh in somewhere in scandinavia i think it's the netherlands i'm not sure and then we're going to do some dates around that and yeah we'd love to do u.s dates but they're just kind of far and few between there just aren't a lot of promoters out there calling you like we want you guys to come out you know, it's it's just a little bit it's it's just a different scene now than it was back in the eighties and there really wasn't there wasn't a circuit when we were touring we kind of created the circuit really um, so um, yeah our dream is to do some regional tours you know like a Southwest tour maybe a West Coast tour but again there, those opportunities are just not all that great right now but you know if God opens that door we'll certainly go through it and you know we're all playing you know Oz is busy with Striper I'm a full time pastor. You know, we're not trying to get out there and do a nine-month tour again. You know, those. You know, we're not going to do that. But if we could do some regional tours, we'd love to do that. Sure, I wish I could see you and White Cross and Striper all together in a in a show. That would be really neat. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know, with the, with the video coming, the documentary coming out, that may or may not open up some doors for us that we aren't even aware of. But we're just going to have to, you know, we just wait and see what God has for. Sure. Any future albums in the uh, in the making? Well, you know, a Dangerously Close has got so much more shelf life left to left to it. Uh, we're going to just keep promoting that. So we're looking for a new licensing deal in Europe, and just kind of keep getting our behind that sure. uh, before we even think about doing it. Because you know, we we did that album on our own. Our fans finance it through Kickstarter. 
you know, so, you know, we're just, again, we're just kind of praying about it. I'm, you know, I've been writing some new tunes here the last couple of weeks and, you know, just some skeleton outlines of some new stuff. So, you know, if we feel that, that we're going to do another one, you know, we're going to just, you know, we're always writing, all of us are always writing music. It's just kind of, can't help it, you know? Right. And but, you know, blood. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, we're going to start tracking next year. I don't know. Right. I'm not sure. I, I think Dangerously Close has got a lot of, there's a lot of people that have, don't, haven't heard it or haven't got the word out, and, and we're just going to keep promoting that because I think you know the album's worthy of that kind of time and energy. Certainly. I definitely agree with that. Anything else you want to tell everybody out there before we end this? Well, uh, to our fans that we've had, young and old, you know, it's just been great. We love the support. I love all the testimonies that come into Facebook or uh, emails that we get. We glory to God, and we're just glad to see that God is still using our music. Music we wrote 20 years, 30 years ago is still touching people. Uh, uh, it's brand new, uh, along with our new stuff. We just we give God the glory for that. We love our fans and the fan base. That you know, we've had some guys who've been with us literally since 1985. That's just mind-boggling, and we love that. And we love all these brand new fans that are just discovering us for the first time. And it's all about Jesus. Blood Good Boys have been about Jesus. Uh, scripture puts the lyrics. And just getting people, you know, our, you know, that's why we call the album Dangerously Close. We are close to the second coming of Christ. And we want to just keep promoting and getting the word out that Jesus is coming back and people need to give their lives to him in their hearts. Yeah, because that's the only, it's the only way out of what's coming. Well, Michael, thank you so much for talking with me. And uh, really appreciate you being a part of this podcast. And uh, we'll be keeping you in prayer. I wanted to ask you if it would be okay if... I use a couple of your songs on this, at least pieces of them, so that people can kind of get a little listen to what Dangerously Close sounds like. Um, sure. Oh, you know, I'll, what else I should tell you? You know, we have a podcast called Stand in the Light, which goes into uh, the explanation and stories behind all 13 songs on Dangerously Close. No kidding. So, okay. uh, again, you might make your, your listeners aware of that. It's a podcast called Stand in the Light, and it breaks down every single song, which gives it a lot more insight than just, you know, hearing the record, per se. But yeah, I'd be happy to hang out and do whatever you want. Okay, I appreciate that. Again, thank you for your time, and uh, wish you guys the best of luck, and hopefully I'll catch up with you sometime soon. I appreciate it too, Sean. God bless you. God bless you too, Michael. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.